Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hi, welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. I'm Dr. Lee Van Oker, and we're talking with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, one of the top pediatric cannabis doctors in the country. And uh, Dr. Goldstein, so I let's talk a little bit about your typical patients and the patients that seek out cannabis and seem to respond to it uh, well. Maybe um, start with uh, seizures, like intractable seizures. I've, I've heard at lectures, you've talked about some of your seizure patients, but who are they? <laughs> sure. So the patients that I see with epilepsy are the vast majority are patients considered uh, in tr- what's called intractable epilepsy or treatment resistant. And that means by definition that they've tried at least two appropriate seizure medications, either singly or together and have not achieved seizure uh, freedom. Uh, based on a couple of studies that were done, one in 2000 and another done in 2018 by the same group, kind of looking at uh, these uh, overall, you know, what, how many patients do respond to either the first or second uh, medication. Uh, what they found, in, in it, despite the addition to the formulary of many new anti-seizure medications, about uh, 35% of all seizure patients do not achieve seizure freedom. And this is a terrible uh, situation in that uh, these seizures are unpredictable, and in pediatric patients, it can interfere with development. Uh, you can have increased uh, mortality, increased morbidity, uh, a lot of social issues. You know, the child can't go to school and learn if they're recovering from a bad bout of seizures or they have a seizure at school. Oftentimes it becomes, you know, the school doesn't want to deal with it. So it's there's so many issues involved in this. Um, many patients, despite trying the first two seizure medications, we know that the chances of responding to kind of the third, fourth, fifth medicine is really less than 5%, again, based on these studies. And I look, I've had patients come in who have tried 20 different anti-seizure uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, and that is crazy. I understand you're looking for the answer, and I get that. But at, at some point, you ha- one has to realize that we have this data that shows that it's un- you're unlikely to respond and that getting on these medications, these are heavy-duty brain medications. Think about what they're doing, right? They're trying to slow down the firing in the brain. They are often um, stacked one on top of the other. I've had patients come into my office on five different anti-epileptic drugs, still having 10 seizures a day. So obviously it's not working and the child is practically comatose. I mean, what eight-year-old boy, I mean, I had a little, I'll never forget this boy. It just struck me. Little eight-year-old boy comes into my office and sits in the chair with his mom and he puts it at two o'clock in the afternoon and puts his head down and is out. He can barely lift his eyelids. And this is from what I would call, you know, over medication. And I understand that we're just trying to find the answer for these kids, but there is no evidence that stacking all these drugs on top of each other uh, gives a child a, a better results. 
In fact, I think it just leads to more problems in terms of side effects and potentially interfering with development. So, um, and remember, you don't know what's the seizures, what's, you know, the side effect of the seizure, side effect of the medication. And, you know, most parents that come to me with this kind of situation are, you know, I hate to use the word desperate, but that's what they are. They're desperate. They want to use something that's not quite so toxic. And of course, remember that there's this media blitz on CBD and, there were the Sanjay Gupta CNN documentaries that showed little Charlotte who, um, right. Fiji, right, into, yeah, right, who had, yep. Um, Gervais syndrome, who was sent home basically to die. And here she is now on this, you know, documentary riding a bike. And so, you know, it makes it seem like, Oh, you know, I just give her some CBD and my child will be well. And it's obviously not <laughs> that easy um, because we have to be careful with certain drug interactions. Now, now that we have a lot of research, you look and remember like the first, we've been doing this now almost 10 years with CBD and children. Um, next year will be 10 years that that documentary aired. Um, it, what we know now, though, is that really there's only a couple of drugs you have to be worried about for, uh, you know, drug-drug uh, interactions. It's Clobazam mm-hmm. and Depakote or Valproic right. Acid. Um, the other drugs appear not to have any significant. And look, when I first started doing this, I was tiptoeing around these drugs. I was so overly cautious. Um, but interestingly, you know, I um, co-authored an article in 2017 with Dr. Dustin Sulak out of Maine, who's a cannabis physician, and Dr. Russell Sinato, who's a pediatric neurologist at uh, Seattle Children's Hospital. And yes, we, I'm looking at that study yeah, now. We, we <laughs> put all our patients together. And our overall experience was that 86% of patients with intractable epilepsy responded with a seizure reduction to, um, to cannabinoids. And at that time, we were using CBD, THC, and THCA. That was what was on the market. And that's a pretty good result. And if you look at a result out of Israel, they had something like 75 patients. They gave them a 20 to 1. These were, again, children with intractable epilepsy. They had a response rate in the 80% range. Um, and then uh, uh, at UCLA, they did a survey in 2015 of uh, about 117 families using cannabis. Many of overlap with me, but what they got was 85% of families reported a reduction in seizures. And now there's a report that came out in 2018, I believe the author's Pamplona, that showed that um, when you use the standard clinical definition of greater than of of 50% or greater reduction of seizures that um, um, CBD isolate, the the new pharmaceutical that's on the market at versus artisanal CBD oils, right? So like the oils that you can buy in the hemp market or in a, a, a licensed cannabis dispensary that they have a very similar result. There's no difference. Right. And so we know now that CBD is definitely is now considered a uh, acceptable anti-epileptic. I think some neurologists are still not accepting it. You know, uh, <laughs> Lee, maybe you heard this um, statistic that it takes like 17 years for data in the research yeah. to kind of trickle down to the actual doctor in the office practicing, which is like the most horrific kind of thing I've heard in a long time. But right. I mean, we shouldn't take that long. But there's still a lot of bias against CBD. And what I hear from people from, you know, through my patients is that many neurologists are saying, well, the products aren't standardized and you don't know what you're getting. And maybe that was true, I would say, you know, five or six years ago. 
But I have patients who have been on the same cannabis product with excellent seizure control, either seizure freedom or, you know, greater than 90% seizure reduction, you know, for the past eight, nine years. So there's, there's, you know, it, it, but you have to investigate the product, of course, if that's what you're going to use. But there's no question that these patients get some benefit. And what I, couple of things I want to just add in. One is what we see is, and you see this in the literature as well, increased alertness, uh, better sleep, uh, some kids becoming more verbal, um, parents reporting less hospital visits, less emergency or what we call rescue medicine needed for seizures, right? So if a child goes into a long seizure and a parent has to give a rescue medicine, um, less use of rescue medicine, um, with very little side effects. So what are the side effects? So, you know, CBD in high doses, if you need high doses, can be sedating. And then if you put that on top of the seizure medicine that the child's already taking, that is also very sedating, you can make a child more sedated. But usually when we are seeing benefits with CBD, we're able to start weaning back on some of those other drugs that were not working well that did have that sedation side effect. Um, now, there's a talk about diarrhea. I just don't see that in my pediatric patients. I think maybe one or two have had GI upset with higher doses of CBD. And then what we do is we just figure out what's the dose the child can tolerate. And then we try to use other phytocannabinoids to fill in the gap because the THC is anticonvulsant. CBDA is anticonvulsant. THCA is anticonvulsant. And CBDV, which is recently on the market, cannabidivarin is anticonvulsant. So we don't only use CBD by itself or um, as, the, as the only um, uh, seizure medicine. I will say that seizure freedom is something that, of course, all parents want. It's something I wish I could deliver to all parents. Right now, I think what we see in terms of the numbers is somewhere between 10 and 15% of this very difficult-to-treat group achieve seizure freedom with cannabis, either by itself or in addition to other seizure medications. Um, so it's not a huge number, but again, in this particular group of difficult to treat, um, epilepsy, I'll take 10 or 15%. And then if we see another 20, 30, 40% getting greater than, um, 50% reduction of seizures with very little side effect. And that's what people have to remember. Very little side effect. And, uh, a couple of things, dosing matters. So CBD has been shown to be dose dependent. In terms of, you know, higher doses tend to be more anti-seizure. Um, not always, but for the most part. So when parents are doing this, if they're not use, having medical supervision, they may not think to go higher dose because most parents are going to tiptoe and be very careful if they're, you know, treating their child. In general, I find that most of these parents are not cavalier. They are very, very careful and they are terrified of harming their child. So often people will come in and say, well, I tried CBD and it didn't work. And then the first thing I ask is what product, what dose, how often, again, greater than 90% of the time they underdosed and never fully explored the full dosing. Because with epilepsy, according to the trials that we have, high doses may be needed. 
Right. Yeah, those were the GW ep epidiolics. And it's funny, you mentioned how doctors are resistant. They're even resistant to using an FDA-approved CBD product that comes from a plant that's been around now for a little while, epidiolics. I know some people don't like it because it has additives and artificial sweeteners, especially in kids that might have genetic issues. Diet can be um, an issue, but you can't even get doctors to consider that. Like I said, at that Grand Rounds, I gave they weren't even you know people weren't even looking to epidiolex so right but but the good news is i am seeing more doctors starting to kind of go towards it so or at least offer it to families and yeah and i i did recently have a, a doctor or a, pa a parent reported to me that their doctor told them they could not take epidiolex and whole plant cannabis at the same time and i wasn't sure why they would say that because I do that all the time with my patients. It allows the child to get it's cheaper that. sometimes well, too. Well, yeah. and what it gives the child is whole plant um, uh, profile, which we know right. works better than the isolate. entourage effect. Right, and yeah. and Epidiolex is an isolate. It's ninety eight percent pure CBD. And we know that other minor cannabinoids and the terpenes and likely many other compounds that are in the plant, like hundreds of compounds, that they add to the, that, like you said, the entourage to give patients a better result at a lower dose. And so that same study that I mentioned about Pamplona that looked at CBD isolate versus whole plant CBD or full spectrum, they found that a very similar seizure reduction, when you use that definition of greater than 50% reduction of seizures, there's no difference. But the patients using whole plant were able to take a lower dose and had significantly less side effects. So, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me not to um, use some whole plant in the regimen to get those added benefits. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. And next, I want to talk a little bit about your autism patients, but both uh, there had been studies in both, you know, epilepsy, intractable epilepsy and autism that have showed, like you had mentioned before, there was an endocannabinoid deficiency, right? They did studies showing that that these patients had lower levels. So, you know, that's another reason why going to the source, as you said before, is critical because kids with autism and, and I believe the phrase of endocannabinoid clinical deficiency was coined by Dr. Ethan Russo, a friend and colleague of yours and a researcher in cannabis for a long time. But that's that's part of the problem. He talked about hard to treat conditions like autism, like fibromyalgia and things like that, that could be a dysfunction of our system. Yes, that's right. And so we have a study from Stanford and then we have other studies from Israel that show that children with autism have lower levels and statistically significant. So it's not by chance. It's not by, you know, the population that they tested. It is statistically significant lower levels of anandamide, which is one of the endocannabinoids. And as we've learned from Dr. Mishulam, who has been, you know, pro prolific in his research, that the compound that replaces anandamide is not CBD, but it's THC. And I have, there are going to be patients where THC just, you know, they're sensitive to it or they don't metabolize it well. But in general, I find that THC has to be part of the regimen for children with autism because it just 
helps. You get better results. You can use CBD. Now, interestingly, in my practice, I was finding about half of my patients would respond to, uh, patients with autism were responding to CBD, but some of them would actually get worse with CBD. It was overstimulating, um, and uh, we know that in low doses, CBD can be alerting, stimulating. In higher doses, it can be sedating. That's part of that, what we call that biphasic or bidirectional effect. But in my autism patients, many of them, when they got CBD, their behaviors got much worse, and many of them just couldn't even tolerate any CBD at all. And so, you know, I moved on to trying THCA in these patients, which, by the way, work very nicely for many of the the patients. And THCA, if you're not familiar, is the raw form of THC. So the raw plant, if you harvest the female flower, you get, you know, you test it, it's high in THCA, and then humans heat it up to turn it into THC. So you need that heating up process to make THC. But you can make a raw tincture out of the plant, the raw plant. And um, many of my patients were doing well on on the THCA. And, um, you know, the mechanism of that. Now you can buy products. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. Now you can even buy products that are THCA, like tinctures. Like THCA dominant, right, tinctures, or even they have topicals now. So what we know about THCA, so it, you know, it works at serotonin receptors, it's anti-inflammatory, so it has, but I don't know that we've teased out exactly why it can help with uh, autism. Um, that's going to be research. It's going to be really important. And, and additionally, I use CBG, cannabigerol, in my patients with autism. Um, some of them, again, don't tolerate CBD, and we try other compounds. Most of them, though, do have THC, at least in a small amount, some with larger amounts. Uh, because it helps with the aggression, uh, with um, sleep, with some of the other difficult challenges. And uh, remember, too, that each human is kind of unique in the way that their endocannabinoid system functions. Yes, we all have that system, but we all know that, you know, like there are people among us who can tolerate opioids and people who can't. You know, we have uh, patients who can tolerate certain, you know, medications and, and not tolerate others. And it's the same thing for cannabis. Um, and so it's not a one size fits all approach. It really has to be customized and what we call, you know, personalized or customized medicine. So if you were to look at my pediatric patients who, let's say, have autism and you talk to, you know, 12 families, you're going to see that they're all on different regimens, but right. the regimen was tailored to their particular response and their needs. And um, there again, there's no one size fits all. And I have to always kind of go back to this conventional medicine, allopathic medicine that you and I trained. We like algorithms and we like, okay, you have this, you treat with this. And that is just not how not only cannabis, but any botanical medicine works. It really has to be customized and tailored. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see that in cancer treatment in, in the allopathic world that people are customizing treatment to the, you know, the genetic um, testing that comes back on cancers. I mean, we have to, we can no longer use this one-size-fits-all model. It just, it, it, it doesn't give us the best outcomes. Um, and, and kind of segueing, if I could, um, to my, the research that I've been doing on children with autism. So I'm working with a company called Camformatics where we collected salivary biomarkers to measure chemical pathways um, and, and how they respond to cannabis. 
So we have these biomarkers that we know are cannabis responsive, meaning they change in response to the presence of cannabinoid compounds. And what we did was we collected saliva in the morning before the children took their cannabis medicine and then collected saliva an hour and a half to two hours after they took their cannabis medicine and compared the biochemical uh, pathways. And what we found was like overall 94% of these children uh, of these chemical pathways shifted towards what we call the physiologic range, kind of like, quote, the normal range uh, that we had determined by testing the saliva of children without autism. So we have documented objective data that shows that, and by the way, we did behavioral analyses too, before and after that correlated at the same time that the, the uh, saliva was collected. And the behavioral analyses and the improvement or the um, correction, let's say, of the biomarkers correlated. So remember, we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about a lot of anecdotal, like parents say, my child's better. And doctors don't like to believe that, you know, for the most part with cannabis. You know, I, and this irritates me because if they, if somebody puts a child on medicine and the parent says the child's better, they believe them. But if it's cannabis, they don't. It drives me crazy. Oh, it's just wishful thinking. The parent thinks that the child's better. So this is a way to measure. This is very preliminary research. It's very early, but we are, we are excited to do more research and, and we actually have a couple products projects coming up, which I can't mention yet, but I'm hoping that what we can do is have this very robust data so that should a child come to me new, not on cannabis, I can measure their biomarkers and see and compare to the data before and say, oh, you know, there's a child who has very similar biomarkers who responded, let's say, to THC and THCA and CBG. So it kind of gives us a a pathway. A blueprint, yeah. Yeah, like an algorithm to be able to at least maybe make more of an educated guess on what's going to work for that child. So I'm really excited about that research, so. Yeah, that's exciting. And down the road, there could be diagnostic, use it as diagnostic markers, too, for different conditions and autism and things like that. Well, you are listening to Cannabis Grand Rounds with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. Thank you for listening, and we'll be right back. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.